ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome into this Golf Channel podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray. Pleased to be joined by Golf Channel analyst, Brandel Chambly. We're here at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, an event that is near and dear to your heart, uh, joined by only a few hundred thousand people this, <laughs> yes, this weekend. Right. But, uh, Half a million people. Exactly. It's, well, growing. They, yes. Yeah, they still have to do the exact count. We'll, yes. see, we'll see what the whiteboard yes. looks like on Yes, uh, on My Sunday. prognostication record may not be that good, but I can tell you there'll be well over half a million people here this week. Yes, yes, yes indeed. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama going for three in a row, got a stacked field. But before we get into that, people are still talking about what went down Sunday at Torrey Pines. And J.B. Holmes taking four minutes to hit his shot. Justin Thomas today in the interview room defended him, saying that uh, he might have done the exact same thing. We've seen players on both sides of this debate come out and come out strong. What are your thoughts, not only on the issue, but kind of on, on the social media firestorm that it created? Well, I think, you know, we always, we love reality. You know, there's a reason why reality TV shows besides the fact that they're inexpensive to make, um, <laughs> there's a reason why they resonate with people, you know, because they're real, hence the word. And that was a real moment. You got to see a guy, and I have no doubt <clears throat> that a myriad of things were running through his mind, lots of crazy things. You know, maybe he, maybe he hadn't hit whatever club it, it called to hit well that day or that week. Maybe he'd hit a very bad shot with it. Maybe he'd had bad experiences on that hole. Maybe he thought about the Ryder Cup or the FedEx Cup because people who say what to that, I say, well, you're out of your mind if you don't think that things, decisions you make in January have consequences in September. Mm -hmm. Events that take place in January have consequences in September, and one of them is the Ryder Cup, and another one of them is the FedEx Cup. So all those things would have probably been coursing through his his veins, um, and he probably, I bet you he thought it was, you know, a minute, you know. Right. I bet you he couldn't have told you it was four minutes and whatever it was, 11 seconds, mm -hmm. four minutes, 10 seconds. Um, I saw Ron Syrak tweeted that it was like 11 seconds longer than it took Bannister to run the mile, <laughs> something like that. People were <clears throat> making all kinds of jokes about it, but, but it, you know, all of us and everybody watching thought it was in incredibly insensitive uh, to what was going on all around him, you know, mm -hmm. the plight of everybody else. Um, you know, Ryan Palmer, the plight of Ryan Palmer um, and his group. And, and um, you know, and then he laid up. Right. So when he laid up, 
look, as an analyst, you want people to play to win because you will hear people out here, they'll come up here and they'll sit in those chairs and every single one of them will say, I do not play the game for money. Now, every single one of them is lying. They don't mean to lie. They don't mean to lie. Right. They don't. But they're playing the game for money. You know, men are, people, we're all competitive. And unfortunately, the way we keep score is how much money you make. Right. That's how you keep score in this game. You know, yeah, there's a score at the end of the week and there's a score um, at the end of the day, but at the end of the year, okay, so they've, you know, they've come up with a system that is a different kind of currency. It's called FedEx cut points. But those are based upon money mm -hmm. and finishes. So money is how you keep score. And money is what everybody out here is playing for. And titles come. They'll say, when the titles, money comes. But I promise you, if there was no money, nobody would be playing here, right? I mean, they're playing for money. So money matters. Those decisions matter. And, and he had all those conversations going on in his head. And that was an evidence of a man who was not playing to win. Which is, you know, it's, it's bizarre because you don't get that many chances to win. And nobody, 20 years from now, well, because this was such a big topic, they still remember Chip Beck laid up. Maybe they'll remember JB laid up. But he had a chance to change the way he was viewed as a player with one swing of the golf club. You know, he played himself into a position where with one swing of the golf club, he could change the way he was viewed. Imagine if he had pulled a five iron out which was not enough club to get there, but he towed it in and swung as hard as he could, like Gene Harrison. Mm -hmm. Does anybody know Gene Harrison's name outside of golf if he doesn't tow the forewood in right. and slam it in there and make it for double eagle? No, they, they probably don't. I mean, you know, we speak about him all the time. He's relevant for that one shot. And it wasn't a three-wood. It was a forewood that he had towed in. So this probably wasn't a full four-iron for JB. He could have got there with a five-iron. So he could have changed with one swing of the club the way we look at him, the way we view him, and he would have entertained us. And we're all paying and sitting there to be entertained. Well, now his response after the fact was that he felt, after looking at the various variables and the way the wind is blowing, he thought he had a better chance to hold the wedge from 50, 60, 70 yards than he would have to hold whatever pitch he would have been left with had he tried to go for it with a five-wood or, right. or a three-wood like Alex right. Norton did, who then hit it 40 yards through the green. Right. Well, maybe he just needs... Look, he needs to do the math, mm -hmm. okay? Because at that point, it becomes a mathematical equation. And he might hit, I don't even know, but he wouldn't hold anywhere near 1% of his wedge shots. There were three people that day that had hit it inside 10 feet from where he was. Three people. Cody Gribble was one of them. Um, I'm trying to remember the other two. Keegan, I think. Keegan Bradley yeah. hit it in there. They hit it, you know, either from exactly 239, which was he, which what he was, or 240, and one of them was 228. But they all, the possibility was there that they could hit it within 10 feet. And I promise you, he's got a lot better odds of holding a 10-footer than a 100-yard wedge. Right. So, look, if I had made that shot, if I had made that play, you're trying to argue the rationale for such a bizarre decision yeah, maybe you throw that out there, but he knows he's wrong. He knows he does not hold. There's no way he could pop, you know, possibly say that or think that truly. Um, just no way. You, you're not going to hold, you know, on a good year you might hold two wedges. Mm -hmm. On a really crazy year you might hold two full wedges. You know, uh, I promise you from 239, 
he hits lots of shots inside of 30 feet. And he makes a f lot more than two 30-footers a year. It's funny you mentioned earlier the Ryder Cup and how that kind of changes people's perceptions. The way that they've changed these rules now, you don't have the fall events counting. So you get to January 1st, and now you're really in this position where you're accruing Ryder Cup points and you're thinking about Paris, even though we're seven, eight months away, we have all four majors still to play. You really feel like that has a big impact on guys' psyche and how they might approach shots coming down the stretch? Absolutely. You know, J.B. Holmes has played in two Ryder Cups, 2008 2016. He, they won both of them. Um, I believe that's right. The only two they've won. Yeah. He might played, be the good luck charm. He might had. be the good luck charm. But, you know, at the end of his career, that will be one of, you know, that's a first paragraph stuff, you know, for him. If, mm -hmm. he's, if he's writing, I played on two Ryder Cup teams, you know. Uh, three Ryder Cup teams maybe because I you know he would have made enough points to get Ryder at 15 by my math Sunday night um, which is no uh, you know if he would have come out and said you know I was thinking about the Ryder Cup I was thinking about this I wasn't thinking about wait I was going oh okay I get that I get that I don't necessarily agree with it but I get it mm -hmm. if you'd have won you know you'd have been a lot closer to the Ryder Cup um, but listen it was I mean it's just golf right nobody died I, it was a very real thing to do, you know. I immediately started to think of when I laid up in a similar situation, and I never did that I could think of. I certainly, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm at least, you know, fairly famous um, for hitting a one iron off a downhill lie in a playoff over a lake trying to knock it on a green. You know, I caught an enormous amount of crap for that, but, you know, they didn't have hybrids back then. Mm -hmm. And I just hit a shot with a one iron off a side hill lie to get in the playoff over the water. Um, <clears throat> would I have been better laying up? Maybe. I might have won because the guy who beat me laid up. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, Ricky Fowler, we're here at the Phoenix Open, and Ricky Fowler laid up here in 2010. You know, it wasn't the last hole. Right. And he was either tied or won back, and he had 218. To the into front. 15, right? So into 15, 218. So he only had like 190 to carry the water, 188 maybe. And it was probably a four or five iron for him. Mm -hmm. I played in the Pro-Am the next day, and I was a step or two behind where he was. And I think I got there with a three iron, so he could have got there with a five or four. He laid up. And then he, when asked about it later, made a logical argument for not, laying, you know, not going for it. But... <clears throat> Truth of the matter is, if you put him in that spot right now, he'd go for it. Yeah. You just don't get that many chances to win, and you know, winning, winning. What did what did JB finish? He finished fourth. fourth. It was a sneaky good up and down from the rough for birdie. Well, for it's, like a hundred and twenty right grand. About, you're absolutely right about that, Will, yeah. because in the melee of keeping track of Palmer and Norin and 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 Jason Day, I didn't even see that he birdied. Yeah. And I can't even I, how he birdied because there's <laughs> no way. Those people were not giving him grief. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it was a sneaky good birdie for sure. Um, but if he had gone for it and hit it in the water, people would remember. He would he would have learned something from it. And he may, I'm sure he learned something from, from this situation. Right. You know? So we're sitting here talking on January 31st, and it's amazing to think of all that has transpired already in the first full month of 2018. You have Dustin Johnson, runaway victory at Kapalua. You've got Tiger coming back. You've got Rory coming back. Jason Day in the winner's circle. All of this J.B. Holmes slow play stuff. What to you has been the biggest story of the year so far? Tiger, you know, there's, there's nothing that trumps Tiger's 
you know. Forever and ever. Amen. Forever and, <laughs> forever and ever until, you know, someone comes along who changes their swing almost a half a dozen times and wins 14 majors by upwards of 15 shots and animates all of us to unprecedented excitement. You know, every now and then I'll get from people, why do you show Tiger so much? And I just send the ratings to them mm-hmm. and go, we are in the business of giving people what they want. And we also like, I'd like to think that we try to cast some light on what people might, should want. Right. But we also are in the business of giving people what they want. They, they want to watch Tiger Woods. And I'm not telling you that. That's not an opinion. It's a fact um, based upon the years of data. The eclipsing of when he plays versus when he doesn't. I just saw peripherally, just I took a glance at the ratings, and they were stupendous mm-hmm. last week. And he was nowhere in sight winning. Uh, but he was on TV because people want to watch him. So Tiger Woods coming back, the possibility, I think it at least exists now that he could come back and compete uh, and work his way into perhaps winning. You know, it's conceivable that he could come back and win four tournaments and become the all-time leading PGA. I, th- I already think he is, but, you know, the PGA Tour argues, you know, right. five of Sam's needs win. Team or wins. A team, yeah. whatever. Those are not individual wins. Sam Snead, in my eyes, has 77. Tiger has 79. Tiger's the leader. But he would be the indisputable leader of all-time wins on the PGA Tour if he got four more. And, and I think that's the best we can hope for with Tiger Woods, uh, at least. In, and if he, you know, I was saying it at the PGA show, if Tiger Woods came back and won four tournaments this year, I mean, I'm a bit joking. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. Um, but he won five in 2013. Mm-hmm. And his swing really wasn't as good as this one. Um, if he won four tournaments, everybody in that showroom would be worth twice as much. Yeah. You know, I've maintained and I'll continue to maintain Tiger is the most underpaid athlete in all of sport. You know, he's underpaid. You know, I, I don't know how to fairly compensate the guy, but he's made the PGA Tour rich. He's certainly made a golf channel a lot of money, he's made NBC, CBS. Yahoo, every magazine, everything that even puts a Tiger Woods um, story up gets a ton of traffic. Yeah. He's been a cash cow for everybody. So you feel like the swing that he's got now and the swing that we saw last week at Torrey Pines is better than the one that we saw in 2013 when he won the players <coughs> and two WGCs and five tournaments? Good question. Um, I think it has the potential to be better because he's healthier and he, is f- from what I can tell, talking to everybody that has worked with him, does work with him, is around him, he's well aware that staying centered is bad and dipping down is bad. He was not so well aware in 2013. That's in fact what he was trying to do. Hence why he was a crappy driver of the golf ball. That golf swing is an iron golf swing. What I just described is how you hit iron shots. That's not how you hit drivers. Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, he was the best iron player on tour. Uh, He was 127th strokes gain off the tee. You'll never see that sort of incongruency ever in any stats. You'll never see somebody who's the best iron player on tour. I wouldn't imagine. I'm trying to think. Maybe with Jordan Speed. No, but no, Jordan wouldn't be that bad. Right. But, I mean, especially with that club head speed. You know, he had 118, 19 mile an hour club head speed, 
and he was the best iron player on tour, and he was 127th in strokes gained off the tee. So what more do you need? What more evidence does anybody need to realize that that golf swing is not how you hit drivers? And so I know that he's trying to move off the ball, and he's trying to stay tall. And if he does that, well, it's game over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's game over. He'll start driving it well. It's game over. I mean, I'm convinced, honest to God, if Tiger walked out here tomorrow, I would have Tiger driving the ball straight in two minutes. Two <laughs> minutes. Two minutes. Because there's no way he can't do. All he needs to do is move three inches to the right in his backswing. That's it. It's game over from there. He can't mess it up. Uh, but he doesn't. He stays centered, and he drops down, and he turns left. and It's like just... I mean, one bleeds into the next, which causes another problem, which causes another problem, which requires another compensation. And you'll never drive it good there. Never, never, ever. No one ever has. No one ever will. And that's where he's at. And that's where he was at in 2013. What he has now is just a hangover. He's got a hang left hangover. <laughs> that's what he's got. And until he moves off the ball, he's not going to drive it any good. He can, put, he can get any driver, any technology he wants. He's not going to drive it any good. He'll still hit good irons, because that's kind of how you hit good irons. But he can still putt his rear off. I'm still not convinced on the chipping. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even though people are like, "Ah, he chipped great." I'm like, "Well, not really." I mean, he chipped fine. He chipped okay. You know, you pass. His, you give him a passing grade. Well, you give him a passing grade, right? He chipped okay. You know, he was middle of the pack in ARG around the green. I look at that number. How close does someone chip it? You know, they've cross-board all week long. They measure every single chip shot. How close did he chip it? Well, he was worse than tour average. Um, he wasn't last like he was at pretty much every other event um, over the last three or four years. But he was worse than tour average. So it was better, no question. It was, you know, so that was better than I thought I'd ever see him chip again. Mm -hmm. So I'll give him that. Yeah. And he putted as well as he's ever putted. So I'm convinced he could come back and contend and perhaps, you know, win an event or two because he still has, you know, the wherewithal uh, mentally to go do those things. What are your expectations for Rory this year, and did they change at all with how he came out of the gates, finishing third in Abu Dhabi, second in Dubai? I think he's 40 under across his first eight competitive <coughs> rounds after what he will admit was a disappointing 2017 season. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to wait until I see him up close. And, you know, I watched those events, and I watched the, the shows, and I dove into the numbers, and it looked good, and the stroke looked good. Um, but I, I want to wait until I see him up close, and I can, you know, look a little bit more microscopically at things. But... You're going to get plenty of opportunity because he's playing his rear end off leading that's, into the Masters. Right. That's great. That's great. And, you know, he's, he's my favorite person in golf probably because, you know, I love his golf swing. I love the way he handles himself. Um, you know, he's, he said some things that he'd probably like to take back, and then he did take them back. And he went in and apologized immediately for them. And, you know, I mean, that's what – that's what men do. That's what people do. That's what proper people do. You make a mistake, you own up to it and say, you know, I shouldn't have said that. Um, so I just, I, I've got great respect for him. Uh, I think he was injured and distracted last year. And, you know, one of the things I love about him is that he's got balance. 
mm-hmm. you know, and he's got balance in his life, you know, and he's he's happy off the golf course. So, um, you know, if he's not injured and he's not distracted, there's no way he finishes dead last from 125 to 150, which is where he finished last year. Dead last with a club that you get pretty much more of than any other club in the back. You know, I think his average distance to the hole was right around that distance, and he was dead last. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't putting great. So I, I put that towards, look, yeah, I could find a technical problem there, but it's not always a technical problem. There's mental problems that bleed in and cause technical problems, you know. Um, so I put that to being injured or distracted or mm-hmm. a combination of both. So I, it comes back and wedges it nice, and he's releasing the putter. You know, he's not dragging the butt in towards the target. Um, you know, he, there's nobody else in golf besides, you know, wait and see with Tiger. But I know what Rory can do, and I know what Dustin Johnson can do. And those two, playing their best, should, should beat everybody else. So John Rahm finished second to DJ at Kapalua by eight shots, and he at that point called him Superman and said, I couldn't catch up to Superman. And he was <laughs> in the interview room today saying that if he, he's world number two now, if I ever get to world number one, that doesn't make me Superman. That just makes me the guy that, that beat Superman, basically. Wow. Uh, how impressed are you by Rahm's rise through the rankings, and how do you see, do you feel like he is the, the biggest threat to Dustin Johnson in terms of the world rankings and getting to number one? <laughs> <clears> hey, <throat> I'm incredibly impressed with John Rahm. You know, it's rare when players come along that don't require a apprenticeship. You know, even great talents like Jason Day, who when I first saw him when he came on tour, I was I fell out of my chair. I told my producer at Reno, 2008, 2009, I was like, pull that swing up again. Let's talk about that. I was like, I haven't seen anything like this. And it took him, you know, seven, eight seven years. years. It's an apprenticeship and. It's generally what's required. You got to come out here and learn. Your, very few hit the ground running. Capable of being number one of the world, major champions. Jack did. Seve did. Tiger did. Spieth and, did. And then Spieth. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. Then Rory. Yep. Then Spieth. Now John Rahm. So you think about that. That is 55, 60 years of golf, and it took. Jack, it took Seve, because that, that's, that's 35 of the years. And then in the last 20 years, we've had Tiger, we've had Rory, we've had Spieth, and we have Rom. Now, Rom has yet to win a major championship, but I think we're all going to put him in that group. Comes out, needs no apprenticeship, um, is not intimidated. His game is completely fluent through every single shot. Doesn't happen very often. And those players always win majors and they win multiple majors and they remain good players for decades Mm -hmm. so that's what we have in John Rahm so sit back and enjoy the the ride it's going to be wonderful he's got everything you need he's got um, you know his golf swing is just different enough that he's going to be good right it's not so good that people are going to want to teach him he doesn't have a teacher you know he sends his videos back to some um, Spanish instructor and they look at him, but he doesn't have a helicopter teacher. He doesn't have somebody standing over him to remind him of things that he's not doing right, which, you know, there's 
look, there's a lot of teachers I love, and there's a lot about teaching I love, and there's, I love the information. But helicopter teachers are really only there for themselves. You know, they're not doing their players a huge um, service. They're they're there to promote themselves, mm-hmm. um, and it works, right? They're very famous. They get they become very famous, um, but players don't need helicopter teachers. I mean, they will say they do because <laughs> you're paying for it and you want them there and you're going to argue that they're helping you, but they're really not. Um, and that's, and, 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 and I'm not just saying that as an opinion. I mean, I look at the way players play who are constantly coached and, and they will take more rehearsals. And Think about Michelle Wee. Watch Michelle Wee when she's getting into a shot. Think how many, see how many rehearsals she makes in her golf swing. How many times she'll take practice swings? How many times she'll rehearse with this, that, or the other? And how long she will take to hit a shot? And you get a sense of what I'm talking about. And, and compare that with a John Rahm. John Rahm pulls the trigger. You know, mm-hmm. he gets in there and gets after it because he doesn't have any technical thoughts. There's no timidity in John Rahm. There's arrogance and there's get out of my way, which is wonderful. And I mean, I mean, I mean that in the most wonderful way. You know, arrogance is a good thing when you're playing golf. It's not so good at dinner. <laughs> but it's a wonderful thing when you're competing. You know, right. you have to think you're better than everybody else, and uh, you know, and it, and he appears to be able to say the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a rare combination to to call Dustin Superman, and, and Dustin is. But when you're also competing against him, it's hard to verbalize that. It's yeah. hard to admit that you're competing against Superman. Um, but John Rahm appears to be able to. You know, he's got the wonderful social skills, I think, and competitive skills that are just amazing to watch. His golf swing is just funky enough that no one's ever going to mess with it mm-hmm. because nobody can really understand it. Um, and that's a plus. He's, he's having tremendous success at a young age, so that means not only does he have the success, he gets to play his entire career knowing that he's good enough. You know, he doesn't have to ever, he'll never have to chisel through doubt, you know. And most every player is chiseling through doubt before every shot. To some extent, they have scar tissue or they have timidity because they've been told they're doing this, that, or the other wrong. And he doesn't have to do that. So he's fabulous. You know, he's fabulous for the game. To watch him go at it with Rory and Dustin and Jordan and Justin and, you know, Jason and, you know, it's... It's a good time. It's a good time to golf. And listen, if you're a golf fan, you've got... You know, we can go back and forth and argue, is, is one dominant player better than several great players? Well, we'll never see another Tiger Woods. I mean, I mean, you just, every, every compelling ingredient boiled, you know, just wrapped up in one player. Like, you couldn't even dream him up. But barring another Tiger Woods, to have this many nice guys great players who are young who are by all accounts pretty darn good with the media you mm-hmm. know um, it's really good I mean these are Justin Jordan Jason Rory Dustin I even I think Dustin's terrific with the media mm-hmm. you know I think he is you know what I see you know when one of the things I love about Dustin Johnson I challenge anybody watching or anybody listening to this podcast to find me video of Dustin Johnson throwing a club or cussing. Go find it. Good luck. That's true. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> I watch. And if there's anybody that deserves to 
yell an expletive or throw a golf club in the last 10 years, it's Dustin. Mm -hmm. The things that's happened to him in major championships boggle the mind from an inequity standpoint, uh, from an inconvenience standpoint, from, a, from an unprecedented standpoint, from a getting screwed standpoint. <laughs> and not once does he cuss, yell, raise his voice, throw a club, none of that. He just gets back in the saddle, acts like a gentleman, and goes to work. And, you know, yeah, I mean, sports is about entertainment, but really at its roots, it, it conveys it conveys ethics. It really does. I mean, you know, kids are watching. And, and that kid, J Dustin Johnson, he's aware kids are watching. Mm -hmm. And so is Jordan. Uh, so is Jason. You know, Jason doesn't cuss. Jordan doesn't cuss. Dustin doesn't cuss. I, yeah, I've seen Rory lose his temper a few times, but I've never really heard him cuss on the air. Uh, you know? And I don't, look, I don't hold it against somebody throwing a club. Right. I've... I've flung a throw in my, flung a th it's, few in my day. It's cathartic if you it, get it right. It is, it is. And look, Rory throwing that three hundred in the water drow gave me great pleasure. Like I got it. Like I, you know, I got it. And uh, I lived vicariously through him. And I've wanted to hit a hard, high cut with a three iron and knew I was going to hit it and hit it on the toe and it hooked in the water. And by God, that club deserves to be decapitated or thrown <laughs> in the water. I get it. That's really cool. Um, so I'm not criticizing that but you know the f-bombs being dropped you, you, yeah, I mean and look I've done that too mm -hmm. but I'd like to think I didn't do that on TV right um, you know um, so anyway the point is I think the world of John Rahm and his talent mm -hmm. and uh, I, I would be hard-pressed to say he is the number one uh, challenger to Dustin because I still don't think anybody could play the type of golf that Dustin Johnson can play besides Rory McIlroy right now. Right. Those two, to me, are the only two that can drive. I mean, Rom's there, but Rom doesn't have their club head speed. Um, you know, I don't think that they, Rom can as easily work the ball uh, as, as Dustin and Rory. I'm splitting hairs here. But there are, there are very nuanced reasons why I think Rory and Dustin are a titch above the rest. Above okay. the rest. Right. Above the rest. Fair enough. I'll let you uh, get out of here with a couple here to close. It's a really good field this week here at TPC Scottsdale. Five of the top seven in the world rankings. Next week at Pebble, give me another good field. Jordan Spieth defending. And then we get down to Riviera with perhaps the best field of the West Coast Swing. Tiger will be there, but you know, DJ, Spieth, Justin Thomas. It's going to be a lot of really good talent. At Riviera, are you at all surprised at kind of the the strength of field that is widespread across the West Coast swing these days? I feel like it's changed. Yes. Even in the last three, four, five years, it has gotten stronger week to week. Than yes, what we saw I am. It, it seemed like for a while that that the best players were waiting until Florida swing. But it, again, it seems like the younger players have embraced the Phoenix Open and. San Diego and career builders and AT&T, they're, they're, they're more social, they're more engaged, and they know all these stars that they can play with at the AT&T, and they want to come here and play in front of this crowd. And it's, it's, it's invigorated, it's breathed new life into these West Coast events. And also it's a Ryder Cup year, and, and I think, you know, the PGA Tour is clever. You know, it's very, they're very clever. They, you know, the FedEx Cup, 
you can get wealthy enough to where your kids' kids never have to worry again about money. You know, you can you can take care of your kids and your kids' kids with the money you make playing professional golf. You, when I played the tour, you could get you could get wealthy, but you couldn't get you know stupid wealthy. <laughs> I mean, these, these guys can it's make a scientific term. Yeah, stupid, stupid wealthy. wealthy. Yeah, you know, you 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 know you could get you know castle on a hill wealthy playing golf now. You could get nice house in a gated community wealthy when I played the tour. Um, but yeah, I mean you you know, so these kids they're they get it. They want to be in that FedEx Cup. You know, and and you know, people love to be cynical, so why are you guys talking about the FedEx Cup? It's made up by the PGA. It's like no, it's 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 a a year long competition that literally gets the PGA tour players to play more events. Mm -hmm. Which is good for fans and good for the player because they're going to make a bunch of money and in the end when I would skip an event it used to drive my dad nuts you know I wasn't a guy who played except for my rookie year I maybe played 29 events but otherwise I played I don't 22 21 23 events mm -hmm. and my dad would get so mad at me like what are you doing I was like you know I'm tired I want to go home he's right. like tired of what <laughs> he was like you know you're not doing anything and, and really he was right you know I mean yeah, I, I, I should have played more golf because you don't re realize it at the time, but, you know, it's, if you can get a job out here playing the tour, it's, it's a phenomenal gig and there's really, you know, you shouldn't be taking a lot of weeks off and tour players don't. So we all come to the Phoenix Open and we get this great field. Mm -hmm. This place is going to be crazy this week. It will. It's going to be crazy. That was leads into my, my last question here. You're a Scottsdale guy. You've got plenty of experience with this event. For the uninitiated, those that have not made the walk out to the 16th hole or even seen just the, the vibe of this tournament beyond hole 16, how do you, how do you explain it to someone who hasn't been here? Well, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's an Indy 500 crowd. It's a Super Bowl crowd. It's, it has that kind of energy to it. It's, a, it's an other sport. It's sport loud. It's not golf loud. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the kind of volume you get here is, is um, runway loud. Airplane runway loud. That's how loud it is. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a place to be seen. You know, this is a, this is a happening. It's not so much a golf tournament. It's, it's a place to be seen. And it's a place to do business. You know, I mean, they, they, they wall in the 16th and 17th hole. Those are all corporate boxes. They're, they're 175, $200,000, $300,000 a box. So they're doing business and golf is the perfect vehicle for that. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a bucket list thing to do. Uh, like go to the Super Bowl, go to the Indy 500, go to the Phoenix Open and, and see it just once. I, you know, I, in general, I think golf tournaments are tough to spectate. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're they're pretty darn tough, you know, especially when you're five foot nine like me and you can't <laughs> see over the crowd. Um, this is a great event to come watch because you can get up on these hills with binoculars. You can see, you know, a host of you know really good players. You can get close to them, uh, but there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. This is this tournament is 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 as irreverent as the Masters is reverent. You know, it's as raucous as the Masters is peaceful, you know. The Masters is a cathedral, this is a rock concert. You know, they couldn't be any more different. You know, I, I always go back and forth between the Masters and the Open. Mm -hmm. And the Open outside of Phoenix is the British Open. <laughs> we call it the Open Championship. Those are my two favorite events of the year. But this is the most fun event of the year. 
You know, it's just a big week-long party with a little bit of golf mixed in. There you go. I think that's uh, a new slogan there if they <laughs> if they want it. But it should be an interesting week here at uh, the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Brando Chambly, thank you much for joining us. I know it's going to be yeah. a busy week for you, and hopefully we can sit down and do this again here I, in a few I, weeks. I, we'll, I do like a, that, Will. we'll do a state of the tour and, and get cool. your take on a number of topics because I know that if we talk in four or five weeks, there's going to be a whole other yeah, set, of, set of questions to run by. I look forward to it, Will. Um, enjoy your work and enjoy... Uh, ReadingGolfChannel.com. Nobody covers golf like you guys. Well, I appreciate the plug there. So thank you much, Brandel Chambly, for joining us. This has been uh, the Golf Channel Podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray. We'll see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.